or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church. Let them speak to themselves and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their husbands at home. For it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anything, they are prophets or otherwise gifted by the Spirit. Let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. Those who ignore this will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Another nice, easy passage ahead of us. Let's pray again, shall we? Lord, this book is so challenging, there is so much in it, and I just pray that through all the the different things that come at us in this passage, that your Holy Spirit will speak to us as a church. Help us not to get sidetracked from that thing that you want to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're just going to watch a very, very quick video clip for a moment, and it's of a man, a fairly elderly man, who's been given an iPad as a birthday present by his daughter. Now, this is on a German program, so there are English subtitles. The quality is incredibly poor, but hopefully you'll get the gist of what's going on. (laughs) I won't ask if anyone's made that mistake with an iPad. But we can watch that, and we get the joke, don't we? He is using the gift wrongly. He's been given a gift, and we could say, well, he can do what he wants with it. It's his. But you really wouldn't use an iPad as a chopping board. You would buy a chopping board that costs £5, not an iPad that's cost you 500 But it's that type of attitude towards the gifts of the Holy Spirit that is causing such a problem in the church in Corinth. This church, this lively church, this divided group of people, this spontaneous group of people, they felt that because God had gifted them, in gifts of prophecy and tongues and other things, that actually they could do what they like with these gifts. They could use them to make themselves look spiritual, to make themselves look impressive, to build themselves up, rather than to build the church up for the common good. And so these gifts were paraded like, if you like, spiritual badges to say how impressive people were. If you were here last week, we looked at the first part of the chapter and we looked at what um, Paul was saying about tongues and prophecy tongues and the the Holy Spirit-inspired language that some, though not all Christians, are given in order to pray to God. Um, Those are also given sometimes in the wider church setting 
where they must be interpreted. Paul also talked about prophecy. And he said, prophecy, seek that rather than tongues, because that is about God speaking to us in the here and now. About recognizing what the heart of God is for a situation. So if you weren't here last week and you think, well, I want to know a bit more about that, can I suggest you you go online and listen to the, the message from last week, and hopefully that will fill in some of the background. But what we find in verses 26 to 40 is Paul really giving us some application. What does this mean for the church? What does this mean for Corinth? What does this mean for us? And just in case you didn't notice when we were reading through it, there's also a couple of verses in verse 34 and 35 that pose a little bit of a problem, which we will address as we go through. So let's have a look, first of all, what Paul offers to the church in Corinth. He offers really a new vision, a new way of being church, a better way than the way they were operating. Now, for us, we have to set these verses in context again and say, actually, the church in Corinth was not like our church. There would not be 200 people sat in rows. There would be 20, 30, or the maximum 40 people sat in the hallway of a house in someone's home. There was no access to the New Testament other than this letter that Paul had written to them. There was very little, if any, access to the Old Testament either. And so the church was dependent on what was taught to them by Paul, by Apollos, by other traveling teachers... And also, it was totally dependent on the spontaneous ministry of the Holy Spirit within their midst. What would the Holy Spirit reveal to them as they met together? So if you've got your Bible, you might want to follow this through. Because Paul says, when you come together, one of you bring a hymn. Now, it doesn't mean that they got the hymns ancient and modern out and sort of came and sang a hymn to one another. There were no written hymns at this point. It may have been they brought a psalm, if they knew any Old Testament psalms. But it's more likely to mean that they they just spontaneously made up praise to God. It was something about coming and praising God in that form. Another is to bring a word of instruction. It's not clear exactly what Paul has in mind there, but it could be, you know, you've read my letter to you. Let's have a look at what this might mean here. More like, I say, a a sermon or just a thought on something. Someone else is to bring a revelation. A direct, God-revealed word to the congregation. A prophecy, if you like. Something that comes from the very heart of God. And then another is to bring a tongue or an interpretation. And those speaking in tongues are to be limited to two or at the most three. And Paul says there must be interpretation. This is the person speaking in tongues is speaking to God. And if they do it out loud, the church needs to understand what is being said. Better to have no tongues than to have tongues that are not interpreted. That is Paul's point here. Now, it's been great over the, the last week to have so many conversations with all kinds of different people in the, in the church about tongues and prophecy and about our experiences and what we feel God may be saying to us. But just in relating to tongues, there was just one thing that I felt was worth picking up today. And we did talk about it last week, but I think it's really important to emphasize it again. Tongues is not a gift that God gives to every Christian. There is nothing remotely in the New Testament that would suggest that. Tongues is a sign of the Holy Spirit working in someone's life, but so is growing in patience. So is growing in self-control. So is having the gift of administration, which I keep praying for, and I keep telling you God has not given it me. So is being generous. So are all these other things, the fruit and the gifts of the Spirit. Now, I have a really good friend, 
And a number of years ago, when he was really quite a new Christian, he got quite friendly with an older couple, and um, they were helping sort of mentor him and sort of guide him through the first years of his Christian life. And one day they said, can we pray for you? We really feel God wants to give you the gift of tongues. So he had read his Bible, and, and he said, yeah, this sounds like a good thing. It's good to desire gifts. So he let them pray for him. Now, just to set the the context, this man's life had been totally transformed by God. No question about it. He'd had a miraculous conversion experience, and he was going great guns, if you like, in terms of following Jesus. So anyway, this couple prayed over him, and they prayed, Lord, would you give him the gift of tongues? But nothing happened. Nothing happened. God didn't seem to want to give him the gift of tongues at that moment. What did this couple do? Did they say, oh, well, that's fine, we'll pray for something else, or we'll support you, or we'll pray again at some other point. God may want to give it you later, but not now. No, they didn't. What they said to him was this, you don't have the Holy Spirit. They said, you don't have the Holy Spirit because you don't speak in tongues. You know what? This man was destroyed. He was totally devastated. And I had to spend weeks with him, going through the New Testament, looking at what the New Testament said, putting him, if you like, spiritually back together. The New Testament never, ever adds anything to salvation. It never says that if you have a faith in Jesus, you must do this, this, and this. It's by grace alone, by faith alone. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And that is it. You know, it's so easy, isn't it, that we add other things to following Jesus. It can be say, oh, if you're following Jesus, you must speak in tongues, or you must do works, or you must do this, you must do that. What does Jesus say? Follow me. Follow me. Say, Jesus is Lord. You know, tongues are a gift of the Spirit, but the Bible lists at least 24 others that are gifts of the Holy Spirit. These include the things that we've come across here, but they also include lots of other things, like facing martyrdom, like the gift of celibacy, like the gift of hospitality, the gift of giving. Let's not take on teaching that has no root in the Scriptures. So let's move on through these verses. And although in the previous verses Paul certainly rates prophecy is more important than tongues, Paul does allow for tongues to be used among the church, but he says its use must be limited. He encourages two or three people to speak in tongues, and he does the same With prophets, two or three people may share what they feel the Holy Spirit is bringing. The Christian gathering is not meant to be the place that goes on and on and on forever. It's not meant to be a place with so many words that it gets confusing, where there are so many things to try and decipher that actually we have not got a clue what God is saying. And Paul says if somebody is sharing what they feel God is saying to them, and then somebody else has something, you know, be courteous and gracious to one another the one who has finished sharing, sit down and let the other person speak as the Holy Spirit moves in their midst. And then we get to verse 29, and we get to a very crucial verse. Prophecy in the church is to be weighed. The prophet, the person with the gift of the prophecy, is not infallible. They can't say God says and expect the church to just sort of say, okay, we take that at face value. But the church is involved in the weighing process. Saying, actually, does this 
weigh against what we know about the character of God? Can we weigh this in the early church setting against what Paul has told us and Apollos has taught us? In our setting, does it weigh against Scripture? 1 John 4, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. See, time and time again, the writers of the New Testament will come back and say, be on your guard. There are people who will bring false prophecy. There will be false teachers. There will be false messiahs even. And the church needs to weigh everything against Scripture. Weigh against what we know God has said. If it doesn't add up, you dismiss it. Weigh it against Scripture. And all of this, Paul says, is to be controlled and orderly. The church is to reflect God, who is not a God of disorder, but is a God of peace and a God of order. Go back to Genesis 1. What does God do? He creates the world out of chaos. Out of chaos comes order. Think of, you know, if you're following Jesus today, think of your own life. What is the Holy Spirit doing in our hearts as he transforms us? He's turning chaos into some kind of order. That's the way around that God works. God is always moving us towards peace and order. The gifts are not given to do with what we like. Verse 32. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. Think back to when you were a kid for a moment. Did you ever have one of those situations where um, you did something wrong and you said, such and such told me to do it? Did you ever have those situations? And then either it was the teacher or the parent would come back and say, well, if Johnny told you to do that, would you jump off a cliff? I'm sure we've all had those conversations. If you've got children, you may have had that conversation down a generation as well as remembering it. You know, as Christians, we can never, ever say the Holy Spirit told me to do something in that kind of way. You know, I had to speak this out. The Holy Spirit told me to. Because we're told to weigh. We're told that we are to be under control. We're told to be ordered. Verse 33, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. I can imagine Paul saying to the church in Corinth, you know, if you're not sure of whether to share, it's actually better not to share than to say the wrong thing. And so we get a vision of what church in Corinth could be like. A vision of what could happen. And then we get on to these tricky verses. Who is to be silent in the churches? Well, if you read it at face value, women should be silent in the churches. Which women and why? Well, in some ways, as we get to these verses, it's easier to say what Paul isn't talking about than actually what he is talking about. So we'll do the easy bit first. If we're to take this totally at face value, this would mean that women do not speak in church, in small groups, anywhere, because this is what it says in this passage. But actually, we have to take this into account of what Paul has already said in the book of 1 Corinthians. He said in chapter 11, do you remember that chapter about head coverings? And he said, every woman who prophesies or prays. So there are obviously women prophesying and praying in the church in Corinth. Now, I don't think Paul is suffering from amnesia here, nor do I think he's contradicting himself on a massive scale two chapters later. 
And this will be backed up by evidence from right across the New Testament. If you go into Acts chapter 21, verse 9, you find Philip the evangelist has four prophesying daughters. Now, that's all we find out in the New Testament, but church history tells us they went on to become some really significant people in the life of the early church. Earlier on in Acts chapter 18, we encounter Priscilla, who was involved with her husband Aquila in teaching Apollos, who we hear about in 1 Corinthians. Sorry, we're going at at net break speed here. So what are we talking about? Well, women were clearly speaking in the church in Corinth. They were prophesying. They were praying. If Paul had had issues with women, surely he would have said so before we got to chapter 11. If this was just a blanket rule of some description, surely he would have said so earlier on. So what is he talking about here? Well, I'm going to offer you two suggestions, and it comes from a book, because I have no idea off my own back. So this is a book by Kenneth Bailey called Paul Through Mediterranean Eyes. If you want to borrow it, so you can sit by the swimming pool and gently digest its light contents, I'll very happily lend it to you, on the condition that you read all of it and tell me what it's about. (laughs) But he says something along these lines. He says, Corinth was a really multicultural place. It was a big city. People didn't necessarily understand one another. And there were all kinds of different accents that people would have had. And people would have understood Greek in different kinds of ways. He said the men were generally a bit better educated than the women. But even then, only 10% of women could read and write. 10% of men, sorry, could read and write. So sometimes, it could be that actually when there was a prophecy given in church, or when they were weighing the prophecy, some of the women were sort of, you know, elbowing the husband saying, I didn't understand what he said. What were they on about? Or what was she saying when she said that? I couldn't grasp it. And Paul is actually saying, hold on a minute. Have those conversations at home. This isn't the right place to be doing that kind of thing. Or, there is another possibility. Was it that the church was like the synagogue had become at this time, where men sat on one side and women sat on the other? And women, apparently, at this time, were notorious for sitting, chatting about anything other than what was going on. And Paul is saying, actually, it's these women. These are the ones I want to be silent. These ones who are not taking the worship seriously and are chatting about all kinds of things. One Christian writer in the 4th century says this. This is talking about women three centuries later. They talk more than if they're at the markets or at the baths, as if they come here for recreation. I just wonder, is that the women Paul is talking to? Is that what's going on? Stop interrupting. Stop interrupting what is a serious business, worshipping God and weighing and testing what the Holy Spirit is saying. My own view is that it's something along those lines. But I'll leave that with you. You can go and explore that at your leisure. What does it mean for us? Does it mean anything? Well, I think for me, it's just about, you know, when we do meet together, it is serious. When we do come and we gather in our small groups, in church on a Sunday, in our prayer meetings, we are here to discern what God is saying. And if we're sat there on our phone, looking like we're reading the Bible, but we're actually playing a game or looking at Facebook, I could imagine Paul coming to us and saying, look, just take it seriously what you're doing. This is serious business. Or if we're there chatting to the person next to us about the football scores or whatever else it might be, that Paul might be saying that kind of stuff has no place in the assembly of God's people. Let's move on, because we could be all day on that, and I don't know whether we'd get to any better answers. Let's move on. An ordered church. 
I was in the car the other day, and Ed Miliband was on the radio doing some interviewing. I don't know if anyone heard him. Here he is. What he's doing there is singing, and I'll, I'll explain in a minute. Because this program that he was interviewing somebody about, it was about a heavy metal um, band that he was talking about. And there was this singer on there who was demonstrating how you sung in this particular way. And he got Ed Miliband to have a go. Now, Ed Miliband, I'd always thought, was quite a serious sort of politician. He wants to be prime minister, leader of the Labour Party. And then suddenly, he's growling as if somebody has stamped on his foot. And suddenly, your perception of somebody changes. You think this man can actually be a bit crazy and a bit off the wall. Paul doesn't want the church to go in a crazy kind of direction. He doesn't want us to go into the kind of Ed Miliband singing death metal type moments. Paul rather wants us to be an ordered church. Sorry, I'm going the wrong way there. And a place where actually everything is done decently. Now, I've been here for two years almost. And I don't think for the vast majority of the time we have come anywhere close to losing our sense of order and appropriateness. And sometimes I wonder if our very Britishness and our culture prevents that from taking place. But sometimes I wonder, is our order more to do with a human desire for control rather than a desire to be biblical and spiritually in order. We like to know what we're doing, don't we? We like to have our orders of service. We like to have our rotors and our rotors for rotors. And the rotors remind us that we're on a rotor. I like to get my sermon normally finished by Thursday night so I can sort of feel like I'm organized and then I can switch off for my day off and then come back to it with a little bit of spare time. Now, all that is essential. It's good to have human order. But I sometimes wonder, you know, if the Holy Spirit wanted to speak to us about something, would he be able to get through? Would he be able to get through? Do we have so many things that we do, so many words that we say, that we just cannot listen to God's voice? You know, we talk an awful lot, don't we? We talk an awful lot. Think about this morning's service. Now, here's me saying we talk an awful lot, and I'm going on an awful lot. But we spend time talking about things that have happened, things that are going to happen, things that might happen. How much time do we actually spend listening to what God may be saying to us? Now, the space on a Sunday morning is possibly the most limited space we have because we've got kids' groups, we've got all kinds of things that we do have to do. But what about your small group, if you're in a small group? If you're not in a small group, do join a small group. Talk to Chris after the, the service. He would love to get you plugged into one. But if you're in a small group, do you spend time listening to God? Is the space for the Holy Spirit to break into your meeting? In our prayer meetings, do we spend all our time speaking upwards to God that we don't have any time to hear what God may be saying and then weigh it amongst us? If we're in our quiet times by ourselves, are we just constantly blabbing upwards and we're not spending any time reflecting? You see, because Paul wants an ordered church, he doesn't want Ed Miliband, but he does want a church that is open to the Holy Spirit as well. These two things have to go hand in hand. Paul is not trying to shut down tongues or prophecy. Rather, he is trying to calm down a church that was about to blow up. And he's about to show them a better way. What does this mean for us? It can be scary if we say, actually, I'm not going to control everything. It can be scary sometimes to say, God, will you speak? Because God may speak to us, and we might actually not like sometimes the things 
he would say to us. He might challenge us about all kinds of things. But you know, if I'm brutally honest, I'm never scared of what God may do because I know that God is gracious and loving and kind and even when he has had to say hard things to me, he will do it in a very gentle and loving way. But over the years, I have become wary of what people sometimes will do. People who won't take the Bible as the word of God and will think, actually, I can use tongues and prophecy just how I want and cause all kinds of problems with them. People going off doing things that bear no resemblance to what we find being said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. You know, I was in a meeting once, and I was, I'm half a sort of split mind as to whether to share this story, but I actually think it's quite appropriate. And I was in this meeting once, and the person leading said, such and such has got a prophecy that they should share. Sure enough, this person stood up, started dancing around the church, dancing on the heating vents, saying there were evil spirits in the heating system. And I'm there thinking, what on earth is this? What is this? Is this decently and in order? Is this anything to do with hearing the compassionate, loving heart of God? Or is this just the church, as Paul says, looking out of our mind? There was no chance to weigh, there was no chance to discern, nothing was in place. I've been in meetings where sometimes prophecy is being given, or so-called prophecy, that undermines scripture, and we just have to say, absolutely not, we're not having that. That isn't God speaking to us. I've been in meetings where tongues have been spoken with no interpretation, and I could just imagine Paul's heart weeping for the church, saying, you are out of your mind, that's how you're looking to the world outside. You know what? I don't want to be a part of a church that becomes like that. I don't want to be part of a church where people would think that we are out of our mind. But I do long for us to be a church where we're rooted in the word of God. That we put the common good first. Where we take these things seriously and we seek the Lord's will. We put our own egos down, our own desire for looking spiritual. And we say, Lord, for the common good, what have I got to bring? Now, I know many people have been hurt or become um, sceptical because of the misuse of gifts. But can I encourage us today to not be sceptical of God, but to just weigh everything according to his word? God will not lead us into places of disorder, but human beings can, and the enemy can. But it won't be God. You know, I long for us to be a 1 Corinthians 26 to 40 church rooted in God's word and open to the Holy Spirit. You know, personally, and I'm just speaking personally here, I want to be part of a church that if a tongue is given somewhere, maybe on a Sunday, maybe in a small group, we don't suddenly go into meltdown, but we just do what God's word tells us to do. And we look for the interpretation and we seek the person with that gift. But likewise, I don't want to be part of a church that is paranoid if that doesn't happen. Because Paul doesn't rate this as one of the most important things that we do. On a personal level, I would love to be part of a church where it becomes commonplace, if you like, to expect to hear the prophetic voice of God when we gather together. Now, yes, we have to weigh that. Of course we have to weigh it. And if you're in church on a Sunday and you feel God has spoken to you in a particular way, and that is worthy of sharing in the meeting, I hope we would listen. But we have to weigh it. You know, come and share it, first of all, with one of the leadership team. Allow us to do an initial weighing before we then offer it to the congregation. 
This week, somebody sent an email to two or three of us on the leadership team. And it was really encouraging. It was of what they believed God may have said to them. And we will take that to the leadership team and work that through. On a personal level, I would love to be a part of a church that grows in that area. I want to be part of a church where we are built up and not torn apart by issues like this. Because we believe what the Bible says, we go there first, and then we put it into practice and not the other way around. A place of order and decency, a place of intelligibility and unity, a place where the common good always outweighs the individual's desire to share, and where our main desire is to see Jesus glorified and the gospel go out and the church strengthened. Do we want to be part of a church like that? Paul has given us a plan. We just need to put it into practice. Now, I'm aware that we don't want to just shut this conversation down at this point. And this does need to be an ongoing conversation. So in your small groups this week, if you're on track, if you've actually met enough times to be up to where we're up to, this will be up for discussion this week. We'd really love as a leadership team for you to feed back to us your thoughts on this. But also, in two weeks' time, I think it is, on a Sunday night, we've got our next in our series of tough questions. I was just chatting to John earlier, and we're going to pick this discussion up there. And we're going to have the chance to feed back and to chat this one through, and to keep praying, Lord, what does it mean to be a 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26 to 40 church? It can't just sit in the Bible and be good, um, be good theory. It needs to be practiced so that God may speak to us and his name may be glorified. Let's pray. Lord, in our day, we need your voice. We have always needed your voice. Lord, I just want to stand here and confess that there are times when we listen to ourselves far more than we listen to you. There are times when we come with agendas that are not from your heart, but from our heart. And I want to pray today that as a church, that we will come in full submission to your word, and that we will be free to allow your Holy Spirit under that to speak to us. Lord, would you guide us? Would you lead us? Lord, if there are those here today who who need to receive spiritual gifts that they've yet to receive, Lord, by your Spirit, would you be prompting even now for them to go and receive prayer at the end of the service? Lord, help us to be the people you want us to be so that we can be your church for such a time as this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.